Well, hey there. This is Kim Constable. Welcome to the Strong and Sculpted podcast, the podcast by me, Kim Constable, also known as the Sculpted Vegan, about all things strong and, of course, all things sculpted. So what are we going to talk about this week? Well, this week we are going to discuss my parenting philosophies and unschooling. Now, why are we going to talk about this on a podcast that is predominantly about health and fitness? Well, I have been asked for years and years and years and, you know, to do lives on this subject, to do Q&As on this subject. And since we started the podcast, I get numerous requests on Instagram and in my Facebook groups and via email saying, please, 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 will you do a podcast on parenting? And so I just thought, you know what, let's just suck it up and do it. Podcast on parenting. Now, you may be thinking if you're listening to this, oh, I'm just going to turn this off because I'm not going to listen to a podcast about parenting. You may not even have children or your kids may actually be older now and, you know, not in the stage where you're having to parent them effectively, you know, whenever they're living at home. And if that is you, then I would encourage you just to hold on and listen to what I've got to say anyway, because you may find that you pick up some little nuggets of information along the way. I'm going to really break down and tell you exactly how I parent, what my philosophies are, how I even got into this life, everything, no stone unturned. As you know, I always like to give you all of the juicy good stuff and hold nothing back. And this podcast will be absolutely no different. So before we get into unschooling, parenting, all of that good stuff, let me just remind you that uh, you can enter the draw, the August draw to win a strong and sculpted program or not strong and sculpted program, a sculpted vegan program. Um, many people choose the 18 month sculpt and shred, which is our $1,500 program. Whenever they are chosen as the winner, we are this week, we haven't chosen the winner yet, but we are going to choose the winner for July and announce it this week. So it could be you if you put a review in in July, but if you haven't put a review in for August, make sure that you do that. Leave a review wherever you listen to this. Send me a screenshot on Instagram as a direct message. I am the sculpted vegan on Instagram and you could go into the draw to win one of our sculpted vegan programs. Okay, so let's get into this week's podcast. So first of all, let me tell you a story. You know I love the stories and I know that you love the stories too. So I remember a few years ago, I was um, I was actually watching a forum online that was being hosted by the Dalai Lama. So it, was, uh, it wasn't live, it was recorded. It was on YouTube and it was where the Dalai Lama was sitting up on a stage and he was kind of doing a forum where they were passing the microphone around the audience and people were asking questions. And I always love what the Dalai Lama has to say. I love his philosophies. I love his outlook on, like, on life. You know, I just think his holiness is just an absolutely spectacular human being. And I love hearing what he has to say. And so somebody took the mic and they stood up and they said they wanted to ask a question about school. And I was like, oh, are my ears perked up, right? Because I didn't actually have any kids, but I was pregnant with my first child at the time. And so I was thinking, you know, about schooling and, and whatever else and different philosophies. And, and uh, homeschooling was something that I was interested in at the time. But I didn't really know an awful lot about it. But my husband, Ryan, was much more of a, of a traditionalist. And he wanted the kids to go to, you know, a school, a traditional school. Well, not even a traditional school. Like, he wanted them to go to the Rudolf Steiner School, which is anyone who knows a Steiner education. It's much more of a gentle education, much more holistic for the child. And so he wanted the, the kids to go to, you know, he just wanted them to go to a school, any school. And, he, you know, if, if I wasn't going to agree to a traditional school, then the Rudolf Steiner was the 
next best option. So this person had had stood up and um, and said that you know it was a very similar you know question to to Ryan and I. They had said you know my husband is very traditional and he wants our children to go to school, but I am you know much less tradi- traditional and I'm a stay at home mom and I would you know like to be at home with the kids. And I just wanted to ask your opinion as to. Um, you know, what you believe is better, you know, schooling or, you know, homeschooling, going to a traditional school or, you know, being at home. And of course, my ears perked up. I was like, this is exactly what I'm going through. I want to hear what His Holiness the Dalai Lama has to say on this subject. So I was like turning up the volume, leaning forward, listening. And His Holiness, as he does, you know, he he steepled the tips of his fingers together underneath his chin. And he kind of bowed his head for a little second. And he considered the question. And, you know, I should take a tip out of the Dalai Lama's book and actually think a little bit more before I speak instead of just like rocking on in there. But anyway, he so he thought for a second and he said to the person something which I never forgot. He said, when considering different options, he said, you know, if it were around schooling, what I would ask myself is, you know, what does the world need more of? And I was like, huh? And he said, uh, he said, you know, what does the world need more of? He said, I, I believe that, you know, there are there is an overabundance of professionals in the world. There is an overabundance of doctors and lawyers and, you know, um, solicitors, uh, which is what we call them in, in Ireland, and, you know, accountants and professional people. And he said the workforce is very, very strong indeed. And we have a very skilled workforce, he said. But, you know, what I believe is lacking in the world are the tools of compassion and, you know, gentleness and joy and love. And he said, so when making the decision, I would, you know, consider what does the world need more of? And, you know, that's your answer. And I was like, what a fucking shitty answer. (laughs) What do you mean, what does the world need more of? I was like, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what you would do, Dalai Lama. Oh, oh, holiness. You know, just say, send your kids to school. Or what I'm really hoping he would say was, oh, school is so damaging for children. They should definitely be homeschooled. And then I could go to my husband and go, look, you see, the Dalai Lama said it. But of course, the Dalai Lama is never going to say that. What he's going to say is, you know, whenever he considers something, he considers what does the world need more of? So he takes it out of the micro and he puts it into the macro. Because really what you're doing whenever you choose to send a child to school or keep them at home is you are choosing how to shape the rest of that child's life. And as you're choosing how to shape the rest of their life, what you're actually doing is shaping the rest of the world. Now, I may, and I know you may be like, okay, Kim, that's just a little bit too far-fetched, but like, hear me out for a second, right? So how you choose to parent your child has a massive effect, has like a like a, a cataclysmic effect on how that child chooses to live their adult life. And how that child chooses to live their adult life has an enormous effect on the rest of the world. How do I know this to be so? Well, look at the amount of people that I have impacted in the world, okay? Now, I'm not saying I'm this like massive fucking guru like the Dalai Lama because I'm not. But, you know, we sell thousands, tens of thousands of programs every single year. I have hundreds of thousands of people on my social media accounts and in email and in my network. So I personally have the ability with my message, with my beliefs, with how I see the world to affect many, many, many lives. That is a pretty 
huge effect on the world. No, not huge as in like there's 7 billion people on the planet. I'm only affecting, you know, maybe a million of them, which is like a tiny little drop in the pond. But, you know, Margaret Mead always said, the great philosopher, never doubt that a, a small, thoughtful group of citizens can change the world because in fact, it's the only thing that ever has. So my question or what then I began to understand from what the Dalai Lama was saying was, whenever you're considering a decision in the moment, don't just think about how this decision is going to affect tomorrow or affect your child next year or affect, you know, your child's new young life. Think about how, what you are producing, what kind of human being you are producing in the world. And then you, you know, that is how you make your decision. But I didn't understand it at the time. I was just really kind of pissed off at the Dalai Lama for not supporting me in my argument with my husband to keep our children at home. And I wish that he had have given me a better answer. But on, of, of course, then, as I, as I came to understand more of what he was saying, it made total and utter sense. Because here's the thing, right? None of us really ever think about our values and our philosophies when it comes to raising our children. We don't think about what would constitute success, okay? You know, how you know how do we know, for example, along the way of raising our children that we're doing a good job? How do we know that we are reaching our parenting goals? You know, what's your benchmark? You know, most of us just have a baby. So we 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 get married and then the next thing that we do is we get pregnant or we don't get married. We decide to have a baby, you know, by ourselves or surrogacy or maybe, you know, in some other means. And But anyway, we decide that we want to procreate. We want to have a baby and we bring that baby into the world and we just think the parenting is going to come so naturally to us. You know, it's just going to be so easy because everybody does it and people are doing it all over the place. And so we just think that it's just going to be like really easy and we're going to know exactly exactly what to do. And we never actually think, well, some people may do, but the vast majority of the world don't actually think before they have children, how do I want to shape this child's life and what is important to me, you know, that this child learns, but not only what is important to me, none of us ever really think, right? What does the world need more of? Because really, every time we have a baby, right, every time someone has a baby and you start to parent a child or you adopt a child and you bring that child up as your own and you're a teacher, even if you're a teacher in a school to that child, none of us are ever really thinking, how is how I interact with this child, what I teach this child going to affect the world in the future? Because most of us are stuck in the microcosm of our world and most of us are not thinking on a much broader scale. Why are we not thinking a broader scale? Because we're not taught to think this way by our parents, by our schools, or by our institutions. So I hope that by listening to this podcast, not to go too deep on it, that you may start to think about things in a much broader scale and make it important to you as to how you affect the world. Because when you take on that macro view, believe me, everything changes and the decisions that you make truly do change. But I digress. So let's go back to like, so how do we know what constitutes success? constitutes success whenever we are parenting a child. Well, I decided a long time ago, after listening to the Dalai Lama whenever I was pregnant with my first child, I decided the kind of parent that I wanted to be. And I decided what would be a measurement of success for me, right? And that keeps me on track. So, I mean, obviously how I how I decide whether I'm being successful as a parent or raising children successfully has evolved and changed over the years as my oldest child is now nearly 15. So that has, you know, has changed over the years, but I always have this measurement that I come back to. What is the measurement I come back to? Well, it's, are my children joyful, 
Are they living happy, joyful, content lives? Are they free from fear? Are they respectful to, you know, to, are they respectful of their environment? Are they respectful of their bodies? Are they respectful of the world? Do they understand the, how they affect the world? Do they understand cause and effect? Do they understand that if, you know, every choice they make has an effect on somebody else and ultimately on the world. Do they understand that? And also, are they problem solvers? This is a big one for me. So I don't measure my children on, you know, how much, you know, math they understand or whether, you know, they can spell big words or how much they remember or understand or have learned about the world wars. I measure my children on what is their problem solving ability? How easily can they solve problems? Now, I don't mean solve math problems or solve riddles. I mean, if they are presented with a problem in everyday life, which human beings are every single day, can they go forth and solve that problem? Whether they ask Google, whether they ask a friend, whether they, you know, come and ask me, whether they, you know, figure it out themselves, you know, how free do they feel to make a mistake? How free do they feel to, you know, figure stuff out, take stuff apart, put stuff back together again? You know, what is their problem solving ability? That is how I measure success in my children. It's not monetary. It's not how much money can they make as a young child, how much pocket money have they earned. It's not, you know, their their math problem-solving abilities. It's not, you know, it's about them as a person. It's not about what they can do or what they can achieve. It's about them as a person, their values, their understanding, and their problem-solving ability. And, you know, their 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 love, their self-love, their self-worth, their self-esteem. Because I understand that, and I'm going to get into this in a minute, but I understand how whenever you build a child from the ground up, like whenever you build a house from the foundations, whenever you lay the foundations correctly, the house not only will build very, very easily, it will stand for a long, long time. So I have always focused on building a really good foundation for my children so that they can then, you know, grow themselves. Children will grow themselves into adults if you just provide the correct tools and the correct foundation. But the problem is many people don't actually know what that is or what that should be. And the reason why we don't know is because we don't understand ourselves well enough because we're not taught to do this really deep personal work. Um, and, you know, I was brought up in a very traditional way. Many people think that I was, I always, always, you know, I was probably co-slept and, you know, and kangaroo parented and I was, you know, all whatever. So not true, okay? How I choose to live my life now is so different to how I was brought up. It's not even funny. Like I was brought up in a very, very traditional way. We were smacked. We were disciplined. We were told when to go to bed, when to eat. We were sent to boarding school. I went to boarding school at age seven. Um, we, you know, my parents parents divorced at a very young age. And so I only saw my mom, like my parents divorced and, you know, went, went different ways. We were in boarding school. We only got home from Saturday lunchtime until Sunday evening. That's all we got home during the week. The rest of the time we were in school. And so I saw my mom and, or my dad, I was closer to my mom when I was younger though. I saw her every other week for about uh, 36 hours, every other week for 30, not even 36 hours, 24 hours plus six, right? 30 hours. I saw her because we got picked up from school at about one o'clock in the afternoon. We went back at 7 p.m. on a Sunday evening. So I saw my mom every other week for 30 hours. That's it. Most people listening to this are like, oh my God, like you try that on, okay? Seven-year-old girl from I was seven till I was about 12. I was in boarding school and I saw my mom every other week 
for, apart from school holidays, for 30 hours. So I definitely did not have, and then people always go, oh, well, that's why you homeschool. That's why you are the way you are. Well, it's actually not, okay? And and let let me get into that a little bit more and explain why. So I was brought up very traditionally. And to be honest, if I hadn't have chosen to change the way I parent, mindfully chosen, I definitely would have been exactly the kind of parent that I was brought up with. Because I was one of these people that I remember used to babysit for a girl. I was about 16 at the time. And I went to, there was a friend of ours um, and she had two young kids. And I remember going to babysit for her whenever she was out one night. And whenever I went to visit her at her house, her kids used to, you know, run around the place. And she was you know, running around after them, like with a spoon, trying to feed them at dinner time. And she'd be like, come on, take one more spoon, take, take one more spoon. They'd be running around and playing. One of them was a toddler, right? And she'd be running around and trying to, you know, like spoon spoon feed the child. I remember looking going, hi, yeah, he's so cute. And thinking, my child will never do that. My child will sit at the table and be fed. You know, it was one of those ones. I was so traditional. I definitely, had I not chosen to be different, I would have been a smacker. I definitely, I would not have co-slept with my kids. I would have been um, a disciplinarian. I believe that children should speak when spoken to. They should have manners. They, you know, um, you know, they needed to, and I do still believe that children do need to be taught how to behave in public. I think that's very, very important, um, but I'll discuss that in a minute. But I do, you know, I definitely would have been a very traditional parent. Parent. Um, And it was simply because I didn't know any better. Most of us just parent how we were parented, right? We don't question it. We just parent exactly the way we were parented. And of course, then we do all this retrofitting and all this cognitive dissonance. And even if we were punished or smacked as a child or whatever, it was all we knew. We didn't know any different. So of course, we believe that the way we were brought up was fantastic. How many times do you hear people saying, you know, oh, in my day, this happened? Like, you know, how many times do you hear adults talking about being smacked as a child? Oh, never did me any harm. In fact, it was what I needed. I bet you didn't feel like that at the time when some parents scaring the shit out of you and you're getting caned. Like in school, whenever I was very young, we still had, you know, corporal punishment. And the headmaster used to, if the boys were, you know, if some of them had been really bad, he used to go to their dormitory at night, take them out of their bed and, and hit them with a tennis shoe right in the dorm in front of all the other boys at night in the dark. Can you imagine being a young boy and seeing another boy being hauled out of bed and, you know, given 10 really hard whacks with a tennis shoe? And then, you know, sent back to bed again. And obviously he did it to show, you know, to teach them a lesson. But can you imagine how scary that would be as a young boy being away from home? You know, these people are supposed to be looking after you and the fear of being hurt. But yet we grow up as adults and we go cognitive dissonance. We go, oh, never did me any harm. I was a little shit. I really needed it. No, you did not need it. That's just how you've made it okay in your mind because human beings are wired for survival. And we have to make hard times seem okay because otherwise we would never get through life. We, we curled up in a ball in the corner, you know, rocking ourselves and or in a mental institution having a nervous breakdown. We have to retrofit things and make them okay in order to get through life. That doesn't mean that it was okay. Did you survive? Yes. Hallelujah. You survived. Great. Doesn't mean that it was okay and doesn't mean that it was right. So I began to understand whenever I was about 25, what happened to me was I... I get very passionate about this. You can hear I'm very intense about this, but this stuff really does make me very, um, I suppose whenever you're talking about children or whatever, it really makes me like um, passionate or 
Uh, I speak with conviction, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I'm sorry if I get really intense on you. You're like, whoa, I kind of back off a wee bit there. <laughs> but I, I do notice whenever I'm doing it. So I'll pull back a little bit. I'm sorry. But let me tell you what happened to me. So I was 25, right? And I um, I got into personal development. It was around the same time that, you know, I was, uh, well, it was just before I watched the talk of the Dalai Lama. I think this is why I was actually really interested in the Dalai Lama at the time, because I had really gotten into personal development. I had started doing a lot of work with NLP, which is neurolinguistic programming. I'd started, you know, doing a lot of, you know, um, uh, work with, not work with Freud, but really looking into, you know, the great philosophers and psychologists and, and stuff. And I had started doing different courses and and I'd started to work with a coach. Okay. So I was working with a personal coach at the time. I got into like a coaching program and I was working with a personal coach overcoming my own personal limitations. Because at the time I was 24 and I really wanted to start my own business. And um, I decided that if I find a coach to help me you know, in, you know, to start a business that, you know, I would be successful. And ironically, I wasn't actually successful until I was like 37 years of age. But um, anyway, at the time, rather than hiring, I was, I was always a bit of a different thinker. I always thought about things differently. So rather than hiring a, a business coach, I hired a personal coach. I hired someone to help me overcome my own personal limitations that stopped me from being successful. Okay. And that, and I kind of got into this, it was actually through my mom, she introduced me to the person because she's always been into stuff like that. So I started working with this coach and I started to understand um, how our belief structure is formed, right? In childhood, our whole belief structure that we use to govern our adult lives is built whenever we're children. And as I began to work on, you know, the fears that would hold me back. So I would go to do something, for example, even something as simple as say, make a cold call, pick up the phone and make a cold call. And I would come out in a cold sweat and I'd be fearful and whatever. So I would work that with my coach and I would figure out why is picking up the phone and speaking to a stranger or picking up the phone and, and you know, and wanting to offer somebody something or sell somebody something or even just get a meeting with a person. Why is, what is scary about that? Why is that scary? This is one human being to another human being. I just want to have a meeting with this human being. They can say yes or no. And I can, you know, so why, why is that scary? So I started working on stuff like that. And as we began working, as I began working with the coach, I realized that every single fear that I had, every single fear without exception, traced back to some kind of memory in my childhood. And the memory it traced back to was always to do with either being yelled at, smacked, controlled, or having some kind of fear instilled in me by an adult, usually by my parents, sometimes by a teacher, especially in boarding school. And it was all before I had reached cognition. Every single memory I had that was guiding every single fear that I had as an adult came from some experience that I had had before the age of eight. I kid you not, before the age of eight, every single fear. So as I began to work these fears and I began to, you know, work and work and work and I began to feel better and feel less fearful and be more grounded and be more productive and all of these different things, I, I began to realize just how powerful our childhood is, how we're parented is. I began to realize just how important our childhood is, just how important it is to parent children correctly 
so that you don't instill all of these rules, all of this control, and all of this fear in them as as adults. So, of course, I, I began to learn more and more and more. I began to dig deep into the psychology of children, the you know, the mindset of children. I began to read more and watch more, and I signed up to different parenting websites and parenting gurus like Dr. Laura Markham. She's one of my favorites, and you know, really look into how we parent our children affects the rest of their lives. And and once I had started to learn all this information, I just couldn't unlearn it, right? Once it was like, you know, they talk about in the matrix taking the blue pill or the red pill, you know, and he's like, he's holding up the blue pill and he's like, once you take the blue pill, you can never go back, you know? And sometimes I go, fuck, I wish I had taken the red pill. I almost wish I didn't know as much as I knew, right? Because there's times I'm standing in front of my children, looking at them, and I want to rip the little shit's head off, right? I really do. (laughs) But I know that if I indulge this feeling of wanting to punish them and wanting to take my anger out on them, I am going to affect the rest of their lives with my anger. And sometimes though, you know, so a lot of times as parents, what we do is we let off steam with our children. You know, they trigger our anger. Something in the external world triggers us. We feel angry. We feel pissed off. We feel annoyed. And we take it out on our children and we punish them. We yell at them. We shame them. We make them wrong. And we do it just to make ourselves feel better because we want them to stop whatever they're doing or we want us to stop feeling the way we're feeling. So we take it out on them, right? And we do it unconsciously because we don't realize just how bad it is that we do that and how that that causes what's called a disintegration in the child's belief structure, a limiting belief in their belief structure, which literally causes fear in them for the rest of their lives around that particular thing. And so once I realized this, because I'd done all this work in my own belief structure, I just knew that I could never, ever, ever parent traditionally anymore, right? So this all, this all happened whenever I was, you know, age 24. And then of course, what happened, right? So I got pregnant and I was like, oh, yay, I'm pregnant. I was so happy. I'd only known Ryan for like two weeks whenever I got pregnant, but we were delighted to, to be pregnant. We knew that we were soulmates. If, if such a thing even exists, we wanted to spend the rest of our lives together. We were so happy that we were pregnant and it was it was absolutely wonderful. And I was like, I am never going to be angry at my child. I'm going to, now that I know all of this wonderful information, because of course I knew it all in theory, right? And, and whenever we know something in theory, we think that we, you know, like we understand everything, you know, like how many of us watch Wimbledon, right? Or watch a tennis match, right? And we know how to play tennis. Maybe we've played tennis a couple of times and we're like, oh, he should have done that. He should have topspin that. He should have this. He should have that, right? No, you really do not know until you're standing on that court at a professional level what you should or shouldn't do or what's possible or what's not possible. You only know it in theory. It's like, you know, the couch you know, the couch football, you know, um, people, the people who follow football teams from the couch, right? It's that kind of thing. He should have done this and he should have done this. No, no, no. You don't get to judge until you're actually running around that field. Anyway, I digress. Let's bring it back. So I vowed I was never going to be angry at my children. I vowed I was always going to protect their young lives. It was going to be absolutely fantastic. And then, and then I had a baby. (laughs) Then I had a baby and, um, Yeah, I realized that knowing what to do, and I always say this, knowing what to do is completely useless without the emotional strength to do what you know. So here's what happened, right? Even though I had decided that I was going to be a wonderfully, wonderfully soft and, you know, gentle parent and I was never going to yell at my kids and I understood how, you know, anger, you know, caused disintegrations in their belief system and how that would affect them as adults. And so I had all this wonderful understanding of what not to do 
But yet, unfortunately, I still had all of the impulses to do it simply because I was still trying to control my children, okay? So I was trying to fit all of this new knowledge that I had into an authoritarian paradigm. So most of us live in an authoritarian paradigm with our kids, okay? What is an authoritarian paradigm? Well, that is where you are the authority in your children's lives. You tell them what they can and can't do. You tell them, you know, when they get up, when they go to sleep, you tell them, you know, that they're going to school, they don't have a choice. You tell them, you know, all of these different things. You must do this, you must not do this. You are the authority in their lives, okay? And I I was very much that way with my children, as in like I wasn't, you know, um, I wasn't, like I never, I, I wasn't angry at them, I didn't punish them or shout at them, but I was very much, now it's bedtime, now it's bath time, now it's time to get up, now it's time to go to sleep, now it's time to eat. No, you can't have a snack before dinner because dinner's at this time. Yes, you must eat your dinner at the table. You know, so I, I wanted to be this really chilled out parent, but I still had all of these rules. So let me tell you what is extremely difficult, right? Or what's, what's almost virtually impossible with these two scenarios. Whenever you are the authority in your children's lives, you are telling them what to do. When you're telling someone what to do, there's a, there's a downside if they don't do it. It's not okay if they don't do it. I remember having this session with my coach once, just as a slight side story, and it was about... Um, something I had asked, in inverted commas, Ryan to do, right? So I said to Ryan, Ryan, can you go and, you know, get me some, such and such or whatever? And he said, uh, and he said, no, I'm, I don't want to because I've, I asked you, do you know what it was? I asked him to go and get me a bucket of coal. I said, Ryan, go and get me a bucket of coal because I want to, you know, light the fire. And he went, well, no, I've just had a bath. I've just changed into my pajamas. I'm, I don't want to go outside. It was cold and wet, whatever. He goes, you don't need a fire. It's not even cold. And I went, Ryan, go and get me a bucket of coal. And he went, and he said, no, I'm not going to get you a bucket of coal. I don't want to get a bucket of coal because, you, you know, it's cold and it's wet and I've, I'm in my pajamas and I don't want to have to go outside again. And I looked at him stunned. I was like, I can't, go and get me a bucket of coal. I can't believe you're saying no. And so anyway, this really deeply affected me. I was like, I dare my husband not go and get me a bucket of coal. Now, that's a side note. We've actually discussed that since um, in one of our joint marriage sessions that we have. We, we, we've always had coaching and it's been fantastic. And so Anyway, he apologized for that. He was like, I don't know why I didn't get you a bucket of coal. I'm so sorry. It was so ridiculous. But what happened was he reacted to being told what to do. I didn't ask him, right, to do it. And whenever I was discussing it with my coach, I was like, I can't believe, you know, I, I just, all I did was ask him to get a bucket of coal. And she said to me, well, did you ask him or did you tell him? And I said, no, I asked him. I said to him, Ryan, will you go and get me a bucket of coal? She said, I'm not interested in the words that you used. What I'm asking is, was there a downside or was it okay if when he said no? And I was like, I don't understand. And she said, when you're asking someone something, it's okay when they say no, or if they say no. When you're telling them, it's not okay if they say no. So you're not, you may say that you're asking because your words may, you know, may say, will you please go and get this? But if it's not okay for them to say no, you're not asking, you're telling. And I was like, oh. Because I was telling myself, well, I didn't tell him to do it. I asked him. She was like, no, no, understand, honey. You told him. And that's what he was reacting to. Because Ryan is also very defiant. He detests being told what to do, right? So, of course, he perceived he was being told what to do because he was. And, um, and then so he reacted to it and he said no. So the thing about parenting is whenever you are parenting traditionally, you are telling your children what to do, right? You're not asking them. You're telling them, okay? And when 
they don't do it, usually there's a downside. Okay? There's a downside. So, for example, we had to get our kids out the door to school every morning because we had decided to send them to the Rudolf Steiner School. And so the kids had to go to school every morning, just the two boys, uh, Corey and Kai. And they were very young at the time. They were only, Kai was in, I think, play school or whatever. So he was three and I think Corey was four. And do you think my three and four-year-old wanted to get out of bed in the morning and get dressed and go and leave at 8.20 to go to school? No, they did not want to do that. They wanted to, they wanted to relax and they wanted to, you know, lie and watch TV or lie in bed with us. Like there's no four-year-old child, right, wants to get his coat on, get his shoes on, get in the car and be driven to school. Okay. Not that I know of, you know, maybe they do in the first week and it's wonderful. And then once they realize it's every single day, they just don't want to do it anymore. The only way you can make your child do that is through punishment and control. Not do that, but do something they don't want to do, okay? Especially when they're three and four. Whenever they're older, you can negotiate with them. You can offer something in return. You can, you know, have an, a back and forth conversation. When they're three and four, there's no logic. You can't negotiate with them. You can bribe them and cajole them, which is what I did. But unfortunately, what, what was happening was I was becoming so stressed every day because I had vowed that I was never going to get angry with my children or force or coerce them because I knew how bad that was. But yet I had all the shit that I needed them to do. I needed them to go to fucking bed when I told them. I needed them to go to school. I needed them to eat their bloody dinner. I needed, I had all these things that I had decided through the way that I was, I hadn't even decided, but just, I, this is the way I was parenting because this is how I was parented. I had all these things I needed them to do. And they weren't bloody doing them. And, and there was only so much bribing and cajoling that I could do. And sometimes I just had to be like, put your bloody coat on and get in the car, you know? And, and then I felt like so horrible. And then it was so stressful. And I was like, come on. And I was like doing this song and dance every morning and trying to, you know, distract them and make things fun and, you know, and get them. And it, it was taking about an hour to get them out to the car every day because they didn't bloody well want to do it. And so I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. I couldn't yell at them and make them do it. But because I've, I knew too much to do that and I knew how damaging that would be. So I knew when I, when I yelled at my children, I was damaging them and effectively you're making the choice to damage your child or not damage your child. Once you have this knowledge of how damaging it is to be angry at your children for the rest of their, you know, how damaging it is for them for the rest of their lives, you really just can't choose it. You can't, you, your body won't allow you to choose it. But yet trying to get them to do something they don't want to do is exhausting whenever you're, you can't punish them. So this is how I was living my life, okay? And, and it was very, very, very stressful. I really had no tools to help me navigate this world of parenting, how we had chosen to parent. And so every day I was exhausted and I was drinking so much wine in the evening because parenting was just fucking exhausting. I expected it to be wonderful and lovely and all kumbaya and it was just exhausting and I fucking hated it, right? Don't get me wrong. There were parent, there were times that, that were lovely and then the rest of it was just bloody stressful. So, um, so anyway, what happened was a friend of mine messaged me one day and she was asking me, because I was very strong in my parenting philosophies, she messaged me asking me advice on her daughter. And she said to me, oh, I just love getting your advice. She said, it's, a, it's wonderful. She said, you and Dana Martin are just my parenting gurus. And I was like, Dana Martin? Who is Dana Martin? And she said, have you never heard of Dana Martin? I said, no, who is this girl? And I said, she said, oh my God, you would absolutely love her. You and she are destined to be best friends. Like she's absolutely amazing. So I was like, must go and look her up, right? So I, looked, I was, it was about 11 o'clock at night. I was sitting in the kitchen. I was ready to go to bed. The kids get up early, obviously. And I went on and I looked on her, on her 
on my computer, I looked on her website, danamartin.com, D-A-Y-N-A, danamartin.com. I looked on her website and I was like looking through, I was like, oh yeah, she looks nice. I was like, oh, what is this thing she does? Radical unschooling. So I was looking through radical unschooling and I was like, oh my goodness. And I was like, shit, this is all very interesting. And, and so I began to look through her website and she, um, there was an episode on her website. It's gone now because they don't allow her to put it up anymore. It was her on the, um, the TV show Wife Swap, American Wife Swap. Now, I fucking hate that program, right? I detest it with a passion. But, and I was like, oh, she was on Wife Swap. She's gone way down in my estimations now. But I thought, I'll watch five minutes of it just to see what it's about. So I started to watch Wife Swap and 45 minutes later, I didn't care that Ryan had gone to bed. I didn't care that it was now midnight. I was absolutely and utterly engrossed in watching this episode. Because as I watched Dana, who's a totally free parent, completely free, radical unschooling, her children have complete and utter autonomy over their own lives. She lives so freely and so beautifully with her children. She switched with this mom who was brought up in a, her father was like a, a an officer in the army. She brought up her two children like they were in a military camp. She gave them no freedom, no respect, no, oh my God, it was horrendous. And Dana swapped with this mother and it was like a car crash watching <laughs> watching the episode. But um, as soon as I watched how Dana lived her life, I knew that this is what, this is what I had been searching for. I knew that this is what was missing from my life. Because here's the thing, I'm a real free spirit, right? I have a huge amount of my faith in my ability to be able to figure things out. I'm a really independent thinker and I always have been. But yet I was living my life with my kids without, I hadn't even thought, I didn't, hadn't even, I hadn't even seen that this was a possibility. So it wasn't even like I hadn't thought about it or looked into it or researched or thought, oh, what is the best way that I will parent? You know, it wasn't like, oh, I want to lose weight. So will I do hit cardio or will I do slow steady or will I go to Zumba classes? Like it wasn't, you know, we don't do that when we parent. I just parented the way I was parented. And so once I discovered this new way, this radical unschooling, I was like, this is what I've been searching for my entire life. I didn't even know that it existed before now, but once I knew it existed, I knew I had to do it. And I was so excited, but I knew that everybody in my life was going to react to it. I knew Ryan was going to react. My parents were going to react. It was so different to what every single other person that I knew was doing. I knew I had to tread carefully. So, um, but I thought to myself, what if I just gave this freedom to my kids and I stopped worrying? What if I stopped worrying about, you know, what time they went to bed and what time they got up and whether they were, you know, eating the right foods? And what if I, what if I took them out of school and I stopped, you know, because my, my youngest son, Corey, he was a massive gamer from birth. Corey was so interested in technology and phones and the iPhone only came out when Corey was about four. And so, you know, he was, but he was so into technology and we had so many limits on it. Screen time, we called it. Like, it's so disrespectful to call it screen time. You know, we, um, we were limiting Corey's time. All he wanted to do was play Mario Kart and whatever. And we were like, oh, you get like, we wouldn't allow him to play it during the week at all. And he only got two hours on the weekend. Oh my God, it fills me with horror whenever I think about it now that I was so controlling. Because let me tell you what has happened. Corey at age 14 is considered one of the highest ranking Bowser players, which is his character Bowser in Super Mario and Smash Brothers, Super Smash Brothers in the world, right? Corey has logged over eight thousand hours of game time on Super Smash Bros and travels all over the country to play in tournaments as and is considered one of the top players in the world at age 14. Imagine if we had have kept restricting that. Imagine the opportunity he would have missed to to 
to really follow his vocation in life, what he was meant to do. And so um, we embarked on a, on a life of freedom. I'm not even going to go into all that, but it took a, a, a long conversation with Ryan you know, where we, I, I had to really talk him around to taking the kids out of school. We agreed to do it as a three-month experiment, but I knew in my mind it was never going to be an experiment. They were never going to go back to school. And we took the kids out of school and we embarked on this life of freedom, right? And it was absolute fucking chaos. <laughs> it was chaos. People are like, oh, is it so wonderful? No, it was not wonderful at all. Whenever you have controlled, you know, whenever you've been on a diet for a long time and then suddenly you're not on a diet anymore, you go, what do you do? You go nuts, right? You start eating everything in sight. You drink and you eat and you shove as much food into your fat chops as you possibly can because you're so starving and you've been so restricted for such a long time. That's what happens when controlled children have the control lifted. They don't want to go to bed ever. They want to stay up all night. They they just want to eat like, you know, chocolate all day. They just want, you know, they, they they literally sit on their computers for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. They binge TV because it's like being on a diet. Once you lift, you know, the pendulum swings the other way whenever you lift the control. So if you ever decide to embark on a life like this, just know that that's going to happen, okay? And also you find yourself with no fucking clue what to do. You're like, I, I knew how to be a parent before. Now I have no clue. You're like, what are the rules? I, am I allowed to like to ask them to go to bed? Or do I just give them complete freedom? Like, do we, you know, am I allowed to say like, and suddenly I was like, what's allowed? What's allowed? What's allowed? Like I was so confused as to what was allowed. And so Dana coached me through an awful lot of it. So I, of course, then I reached out to her. We're now best friends. We just went to New York last year for like a long weekend together. Like she's one of my best friends in the world now, you know, where, um, but she coached me through and she still coaches people, by the way, if you're looking to have a little more freedom for your kids, or if you want to embark in this way of life a little more, she has a full coaching program um, and she herself does personal coaching. So you can reach out to her through DanaMartin.com or on Instagram at official Dana Martin. Tell her that you heard about her from me and, and she will help you. But she helped me in the beginning to embark on this way of life and and it it really was um it really was amazing once and then once things settled down and I learned how to be an unschooling parent I had to learn a whole new way of parenting and the kids then settled into a rhythm of eating and going to bed and all that kind of stuff and and this became normality for us of course things were then absolutely amazing and here's the thing, right? There's three reasons why people don't live this life. Because I get I women say to me constantly, it's always women. They always say to me, oh my God, I would love to homeschool. And you know what they always say afterwards? But my husband would never allow it. That's always the reason. I would love to homeschool, but it's always my husband would never agree. My husband would never allow it. Or whenever I describe how I am with my kids, you can see people visibly relaxing. They ask questions, right? And they go, and I start to describe how we live our lives with our kids. And these people go, and you can see them just start to relax. They just start to relax because it sounds so wonderful and they're instantly transported in their minds back to their own childhoods. They start reliving their own childhoods in their mind and they try on in their minds how wonderful it would have been to be to have been parented that way. And then immediately, like a, like a rubber band, they're snapped back, snapped back into reality and all of the rules come up. Oh, no, but I could never do that because I have to work and I could never do that because, you know, but what if the kids didn't get an education and, and what if the, you know, and so the mind then wants to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth because they can't possibly conceive how this could be possible for their family, even though in their core, in their gut, in their heart, they know it feels right, it sounds right, everything about it just feels right. Suddenly, the lizard brain takes over and the lizard brain goes, no, 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 no. 
But hang on a wee second. What about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what would your parents say? What would your husband say? What would your best friend say? What about that mom group in school? You all have the WhatsApp group and you all message each other and they're judgmental bitches and you actually hate them. But you know what? You're, you, you have to really be concerned about what they say because it's, you know, what would they say? Imagine the talking they would do about you behind your back if you took your child out of school. All of this other shit kicks in, right? Totally understand that. But this is what happens, right? So there's three reasons why people don't live this life. The first one is they're fearful of the men in their lives. They're fearful of their husbands, right? Second thing is they are fearful that something bad will happen if they wander off the beaten path. But what I always get, but what about an education? What about an education? How will your children do GCSEs or A-levels? Uh, well, they won't. <gasps> but how will they get a job? Well, they'll build, they'll get a job through experience. Like I hire people all the time. Do you know what I look for over qualifications? Experience. I don't even look at the amount of A's or B's or the degree that they have in whatever university they got it from. I literally skim through that bit. I, if they didn't even put it on their CV, I wouldn't give a shit. Do you know what I look at? Where have they worked? What have they built up for themselves? What experience do they have? What have they created in their own lives that shows that they could do this job? Are they a producer? Are they a hard worker? Do they have attention to detail? That is what I look for in a, in a CV. And that is what employers look for. Employers don't care how many GCSEs you got. They don't give a shit that you got an A in math, right? Unless you're obviously going for an accountancy position. And, you know, those things are maybe important to accountants. But, you know, they, most employers really don't care. What they want to see is, are you a hard worker? Can you figure shit out? Do you have experience? And are you a go-getter? Are you a self-starter? Are you someone who has looked for opportunities in your life and made something of yourself? That's what an employer is looking for. And then the third thing that they're scared of, which I touched on before, is what will people think? <gasps> what will people think? The fear, the paralyzing fear that controls our whole lives. The fear of... <gasps> what other people think. Oh my God, what will happen if somebody thinks badly of me? <gasps> Do you want to know what happens? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely fucking nothing. Do you know what happens if Jane down the street or Karen down the road is having a good old gossip to you, to fucking Petula, her neighbor, and saying what a bad parent you are? Do you know what happens? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Quite often, you won't even hear about it. And see if you're not interested in it, no one will even tell you. It's only if you're actually interested in other people's opinions of you that you hear about them. See if you aren't even interested, nobody tells you what they think because they know you don't actually care. People usually only tell you what other people are saying about you because they want to scare you, right? Because it's bothering them. They're like, oh, imagine if someone spoke to me, spoke about me like that. I better tell Kim what people are saying about her. Because, you know, if someone spoke, if someone was speaking about me like that, then I would want to know. So I better tell Kim. And they tell me and I go, yeah, well, sure. It doesn't affect my life. I don't care. Sticks and stones. And they're like, do you really not care? No. And they're like, how can you not care? I'm like, because it doesn't affect me or my life, or my decisions, doesn't affect anything I do in the world. What people say about me doesn't affect me in any way. But we're so scared of what people will think of us, right? And that's one of the things that holds people back from doing this. And, you know, the thing about being scared of your husband is men are so traditional, right? They're so rule-bound. Men are brought up very differently than little girls. Little girls are brought up, you know, we have much more emotions, with people buy into our emotions a lot more. We realize that our emotions can get us what our what we want, which is very bad, ladies, at times. You know, don't cry to get what you want. But men are brought up much more rule-bound. There's a code when men are brought up. You walk on this on the side of the road, you know, you let the woman walk on the at the inside of the pavement when you're walking down the road. You open the door and hold it for the woman. You let the woman go first. You, you know, all of these rules 
rules, this code that men have when they're brought up. Big boys don't cry. You know, you you know, you have honor. You you shame someone if they're not good at something, so they'll get good at it. You know, you don't encourage them when they're bad at something. You shame them and you laugh at them if they trip and fall. And so men have all of these rules and codes that women don't have. So therefore, men are much more traditional. And so that's why men are much more scared of just, you know, being a lot more kumbaya, a lot more um, relaxed about things and kind of just, you know, seeing what happens. Men are not that way. Men are, men like to know what is going to happen. And also they like to look after us. Like men are very big on safety, on taking care of their families, taking care of their women, taking care of their children. So men's, you know, men want to know my wife is safe. My children are safe. Everything is in control. When everything in a man's life is, is in control, and taken care of. And he knows that he doesn't have to worry about what happens at home. He doesn't have to worry about his kids. A man feels free to go out and produce in the world. He feels much more free to go out and, and be, um, be a producer, to build his business or to, you know, to work and to bring home the money. He, he feels safe when he knows that the things that he is, in, that are in his charge, that he, that he believes he has been tasked to take care of, he, when when those are all taken care of, he feels good. A man does not like things to be out of control, right? He likes everything to be in its place and where it needs to be. So the thought of taking your children out of school and embarking on a life of unschooling is is for most men. I not I'm obviously generalizing here, but for most men, that's an extremely scary thought, right? So men generally will not allow their children to be taken out of school, even if the wives want to. But then the second thing that we do, which is really really bad, is we teach our children, especially little girls, to fear their fathers, right? How many times have you said to your children, just you wait till your father gets home? I have said that to my children before. And then I had this epiphany one day whenever I was saying it. I was like, oh, you know, I, I used to blame Ryan for everything. I used to say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do it, but we won't tell daddy, right? Oh, yes. Okay. You can have those sweets, but don't tell daddy. Yes, you can play that extra hour, but don't tell daddy. Like I used to say, don't tell daddy, right? And then I used to sometimes say, well, just you wait till daddy gets home. And then I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm teaching my children to fear Ryan. But then I used to go, well, go and ask daddy. And they're like, I'm scared to ask daddy. I used to be like, why the hell are you scared to ask daddy? That is so ridiculous. Oh, I'm scared to ask him. Can you not ask him? And so my kids would never go to Ryan for anything. They would never ask him for anything, never ask him to do anything. It was always mommy mummy, mummy. And then I realized I'd set the whole fucking thing up. I had taught them to be scared of Ryan by constantly telling them not to tell Ryan, to hide things from Ryan, to, to, you know, to be scared if, if Ryan came home and they were in trouble. And then why was I surprised every time I told them to go and ask Ryan to do something for them or Ryan to take them somewhere or Ryan to help them with something that they said, no, I'm too scared. And then I realized I had set the fear up, right? So we teach our children to fear the fathers, to fear their fathers and to fear the men in their lives. And then, of course, what happens whenever we get married? We fear our husbands. The male figure in the family life is the authority. We were taught that as children. We teach it to our children. And then even though in our rational minds we know this isn't true, we act it out as adults. So if the man in your life says, no, the children will not be taken out of school, we go, oh, please, please. And he goes, no, definitely not. And we go, oh, okay then. Do you know the amount of women friends that I have who literally bow down to their husbands, who, who, who almost even live double lives, who live completely different lives with their children when the husband isn't around. And then when the husband comes home, they, they act like things are completely different. They allow him to live in this illusion that, you know, everything's taken care of and under control and happening the way he wants it to happen. It's so ridiculous. We live such a lie, but it all starts with childhood. And see, when you know this, you start to think differently about how you parent your children. You go, 
I don't want to be fearful of my husband. I was scared of Ryan for many, many years. I was scared of how Ryan would react, how Ryan would think about things. How, how, and I wasn't really reacting to Ryan. I was reacting to my internal representation of Ryan that had been built by my mother and by my social conditioning when I was a little girl and I was taught to fear the man in the family. And so it's taken me, you know, obviously now that I am the main breadwinner in the family and, you know, and things have completely flipped for us. It's very, very, very different at home now. But, you know, understanding all this really, really, really changed things for me and gave me the strength to be able to, to step into the world of unschooling and to um, and, and to, to live this way with my children and to understand what was holding me back. And this is what holds us back, right? This is what holds us back. It was done to us as children. We want to control their behavior with the threat of something worse that they cannot perceive, such as just you wait till your father gets home. Like, why would we say that to a child if we don't want to scare them with something that could potentially happen, right? And what happens? The father gets home and he's all, hi, and he's all happy to see everyone. And the child's looking at him going, I don't know what this awful thing was that was supposed to happen when you got home. But the child is constantly waiting for this awful thing to happen when the, when the father gets home that the mother has threatened. And sometimes it happens and the, the father is angry and the child gets smacked. Or sometimes it doesn't happen. But we teach the child to live in fear. And when we teach your children to live in fear, that fear transcends the rest of their lives and shapes how they live their life. We also don't want to be the one that holds the line, right? We want to be liked. We want to be the loved one by the children. We don't want to be the one that says no means no. We want to go, no, no, well, you know, or we don't want to be, actually as well, what we don't want to do is we, want to, we don't want to say, Ryan, it's okay with me that the children ate chocolate for dinner. I'm sorry that it's not okay with you, but it's okay with me, right? So we teach the children to lie. We teach them to pretend to not tell daddy. I used to say, well, we won't lie if he asks us, but we just won't tell him. But that's still teaching the children to fear. That's still teaching the children that something that they are doing is bad and wrong, okay? Which is so ridiculous. We really need to get okay. We need to get better with these concepts, guys. We need to get better with understanding ourselves and understanding how our actions affect our children and if ultimately how they affect other people they affect us and that shapes the rest of our children's lives right this this shit is so important it's so important and i know i went off a little bit of philosophy there but i think that um i think that it was important for you guys to really understand i knew i've got really passionate like i said i was going to <laughs> i'm really sorry that i got intense but i hope that you could understand the conviction that i feel behind this right i really do feel a lot of conviction behind this but we really can shape our children's lives for the better if only we educate ourselves on what is possible so what is it like to live this way right i get asked this a lot so i've given you the philosophy i've given you the thoughts behind why it's important and why we potentially don't choose it but what is it actually like to live this way what is it like in reality well here is how how my life is okay in the morning ryan and i wake up and the kids are still asleep the kids wake up whenever they feel like it it's usually anywhere between 9 a.m and 3 p.m in the afternoon depending on when they've gone to bed and the kids get to go to bed whenever they want and they get to get up whenever they want Corey, my eldest i heard him go to bed the other night at 5 15 a.m i was just waking up at 5 15 and i heard it the floorboards creak as he went past to his room because he must have been doing something online okay he's 14 if he wants to go to bed at 5 15 a.m that's totally up to him so he went to bed at 5 15 and then he had a pt session a training session in the afternoon at three so my housekeeper lorraine i think she woke him about two and he got you know some food and did whatever and then he had his pt session at three so and then that was him up again i think he went to bed earlier that night, maybe around midnight, um, because he was tired, obviously, from having been up till five. So they all go to bed whenever they want. Like my 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 eight-year-old Jack, 
he goes to bed anywhere between midnight and 3 a.m. Ryan and I go to bed usually about 11. We say goodnight to the kids. We lock all the doors, let the dog out. Um, we ask everybody to get their last food so they're not clattering around the kitchen, which is underneath our bedroom. And we, they, they come down and they get their last food. And then they, we go to bed, we say goodnight. They all go to their bedrooms and they do whatever they do. They connect with their friends at different parts of the world. They play their computers or their iPads. We have zero restriction on technology in our house. Complete and utter technology freedom. My kids all have each. They have an iPad, an iPhone, um, a Nintendo Switch, uh, an Xbox. Um, some of them also have a, a P, uh, what is it, 64 or whatever, I don't know, whatever the other one is, PlayStation. Um, they have, uh, two of them have built their own computers from scratch, gaming computers. They have double monitors and they have literally built their own gaming computers from scratch using a free video that they got on YouTube, okay? From free resources, they built their own gaming computer from scratch. Their their walls in their, in their bedrooms are decorated any way they want, but they're not really, like, none of them are black or Darth Vader or anything like that. They're just like, you know, the kids aren't really concerned about aesthetics. They don't really care about how their bedrooms look, but they have um, LED lights and stuff all around their bedrooms. So their bedrooms are really cool to be inside, but they basically go to bed whenever they're ready to go to bed and then they get up whenever they're ready to get up. Do you know what that kind of freedom does for a child? See, as an eight-year-old, to be able to bath yourself, to have the independence to bath yourself, brush your teeth and put yourself to bed whenever you feel tired, imagine the 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 independence and the feeling of self-reliance that that gives you. You're not being told what to do. You're not being told when you're tired. You're not being forced to do something you don't want to do. You're given complete and utter freedom. As far as food's concerned, we have dinner every night at 5.30. Um, I don't force the kids to eat something they don't want to eat. We are you know, very respectful of their wishes. They will always try things because there's no downside to trying things because whenever a child knows that they're not going to be forced to eat something if they don't like it, they are so open to trying it. There is no downside to trying a food and they don't have to lie and say, mm, I don't like it, you know, even if they do like it because they think that, you know, because they just want their own freedom. Quite often, children just want their own freedom, right? They don't want to be forced or told what to do. So if they think they're going to be perceived, if they perceive they're going to be forced to do something, then they will rebel against it. So if they they know there's never going to be any force, they're so open to trying things. My kids are so open to trying things. Um, we do have rules, in, in not rules, but we have um, principles. We live by principles and guidelines. But one of the principles is mommy and daddy work very hard and they go to the gym early in the morning. And so and mom and dad go to bed after 11. So after 11, let's try and keep the house quiet. No clattering and banging around downstairs. If you go into the kitchen, go in quietly so that you're not waking us. Um, no yelling and screaming and shouting at your friends. You know, with your they all wear earphones and, you know, just be respectful of the people who are sleeping. And this just comes over years and years and years of practice of me getting up and going in and going, sweetie, please, can you be quiet, please? And don't get me wrong, I've gone in like hair all over the place, naked like a banshee sometimes at like 3 a.m. and go, can you shut the fuck up? I'm trying to sleep. Do you know? And they're like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, like I'm not perfect. I'm not like, oh, darling. Hello, my darling. I know it's 3 a.m., but you woke me. Can you please be quiet? No, I'm like, shut the fuck up. And they go, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. They have complete word freedom in our house, right? There is no ban on words. I say fuck, they say fuck, they say shit. You know, they don't, we don't say it to each other, but if I'm talking to them, I go, like, you know, like the other day I said, oh, I said, that's because you're a greedy, that's because you're a greedy little shit. I'll say to them and they laugh and they joke, but they like, they don't, they don't call me a fucker. And, you know, they don't really say swear words a lot, but they say them if they feel like saying them, but they don't say them in public. So what we say to them is, once, you know, they all go through a stage whenever they're growing up of of saying swear words because they're cool, right? And all their friends are saying them. And so, you know, it's fuck this and fuck that. And what we always say to them is, guys, just so you know, 
That language is okay when you're with your friends. But if you say that in front of your grandmother, she's definitely going to have a reaction. And they go, oh, right, okay. You know. So we teach them social boundaries. Here's, where, here's how you should behave in public and here's why. Because people will have a reaction if you don't. But we're not like, you must do this in public and you must do this. And you're not allowed to do this. It's like, here's why people have, here's why you should do this. People have reactions, people get triggered, people this, people that. So we explain about, you know, society, society rules. If you want to get a job, it's probably better that you, or if you want to do this in future, it's probably better that you don't have piercings all over your body or, you know, or tattoos everywhere. I mean, not that, don't get me wrong. I have tattoos and I have piercings. I'm just making a generalization. But, you know, if you want to say work in an office, right? You know, or if you want to work in this in this industry, it's probably better that you look like this or act like this and do this. If you want to be a gamer, then, you know, it's okay to be a little more, you know, geeky and whatever. Like we teach them the rules of society, right? You can pretend these rules don't exist, but they do. So we go, here is how society functions. And here are your choices as to how you are in society, right? But kids will generally do what you do and be like you. And that's what I find. If you give them a clear set of principles and guidelines and you let them understand why things happen the way they happen and you teach them to be, you know, upstanding members of the community and to think of other people and to be respectful and you teach them that stealing is bad and here's why it's bad. And you teach them that, you know, that being angry and disrespectful isn't good and here's why it's not good, then they naturally become that way. But you have to model that behavior for them. And that's what we do. We live with our kids as if they were, as if we were students sharing, uh, or as if, as if we were co-sharing a house. So imagine if you, if you were a landlord of a house and you had two rooms in that house and you rented those rooms out and you got lodgers. Well, in that house, you would all learn how to live together. You would learn how to, you know, split the bills. You would learn how to, you know, you would, if someone had a party late at night when you were sleeping, you would say to them, I really would prefer it if you weren't having a party on a Tuesday night because I have to get up the next morning and go to work. And that person would either say, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to. And they would stay and not do it again. Or they would choose to move out because it wouldn't be the way that, you know, you want it to be. And so with my kids, we we're just like, guys, we we pay the bills. And in order to pay the bills, we have to get up early in the morning in order th so that we can work. And we live in this house too. And we provide you with all of these wonderful privileges that you have. So in return for having all of these privileges of the electricity and the computers and the freedom to do whatever you want, in return, we ask that you're not noisy after 11 p.m. Is that okay? And they go, of course, no problem at all, because they understand that they have these privileges and that we provide these privileges. And so therefore, they have certain things they have to provide back for us in order to have this privilege. It's just about being really clear on this stuff. I'm really, really, really clear. I don't punish them and go, you have to do this because I said. I'm like, Here, here's how it happens. I earn the money. I pay the bills. That bill enables you to have this computer and use this electricity. So if you want to continue to use it, then I request that you do this over here. And they go, okay, mommy, no problem. So they earn pocket money. They earn 20, 20 pounds pocket money per week each. They manage their own PayPal accounts. They all have their own charge cards. They, um, what else do they do? I don't know. We, we just like, we live with them. It's, it's so freeing and so wonderful to live with your kids whenever you're not trying to control them, right? Whenever you're not trying to control them, it's so easy to parent. You know, it's it's exhausting trying to control your children all the time. Living freely with them is so wonderful. It's so wonderful, but it requires getting over yourself and reprogramming yourself with a completely new set of principles. Most of us rebel against authority because we were punished and controlled as a child. And your children will look to you for guidance and they will trust what you say if you're not trying to control them. It's when you're trying to control a child that they that they defy you and they rebel against you, okay? 
But whenever you're not trying to control them, they're really open to what you're saying. If they come to you for advice and they say, I'm thinking of doing this thing, or, you know, I want to do this thing, what do you think? And I go, well, here's what happens and here's this and here's whatever. Even when it comes to food, they go, you know, they go to drink something and I go, guy, can I just explain to you why I don't believe that aspartame is good for you? And they go, oh yeah, sure, mommy, tell me. So I tell them about aspartame, about, you know, sodas or about leaching chemicals from the body or leaching minerals from the body and blah, blah, blah. And then they look at this thing and they go, so now they can choose to drink it or not drink it based on the information that I have given them. Now, if it's something that's going to hurt them, like smoking, I will say, there is a no smoking policy in our house. I'm really sorry. Why would you want to do that to your body? And so none of my children would even consider smoking because they because they know I've, I've educated them as to how bad it is on their body and they know I'm not trying to control them. They know I'm not lying to them or I'm not trying to control them. So they're like, why would I ever smoke? Because my mom doesn't lie to me. She doesn't lie to me to get a result. She has my best interests at heart. I think that's what it comes down to at the heart of it. My children know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have their best interests at heart. And that is because all I do is love them and I don't try and control them. I love them. I guide them. I live with them. With I give them the same respect that I give my husband and that he gives me. And so therefore, I respect them and then they respect me in return. You know, respect, you know, as a noun is a feeling of deep admiration for someone or something elicited by their abilities, qualities, or achievements. Respect cannot be forced. Respect is not fearing someone, okay? We have this inverted in our society. We think that if we teach our children to fear us, that they will respect us. Respect cannot be punished into someone. It must be earned. You must earn your children's respect. You must earn their admiration by your qualities, your abilities, and your achievements. That is how you get respect for someone. But we have this so inverted as parents, right? You cannot ask for something from your children that you're not willing to give them in return. If you want your child to to respect you and admire you and listen to you, you must be willing to respect and admire and listen to your child and give them freedom over their own lives. It really is so, so, so important. Now, how am I going to sum this up? Because I know that it's gotten really long and there's so many more things that I could say. Um, But I mean, if you guys are really interested, I'm actually considering starting a parenting podcast, believe it or not, like taking specific problems each week that people have and breaking it down into... um, you know, into a podcast. So if that's something you'd be interested in, definitely let me know, leave me a review and let me know that you'd be interested in uh, in hearing a parenting podcast. But just as a final note, like I know I could go on and on and on, but here's what I want to say that might bring this all together. So ultimately, my goal is to raise human beings who are whole and integrated. Someone is considered integrated when their behavior matches their beliefs. So if someone believes that lying is bad, but yet they lie all the time, you know that they are disintegrated around the concept of lying or they are fearful. People only lie because they're scared, okay? So it's like, I believe that lying is bad, but yet I lie. That shows there's a fear. There's a fear somewhere that is causing the lying. So whenever there's no fear, you are integrated and you are whole. And that is ultimately my goal for my child. Anger, expressing anger towards a child causes a disintegration. It causes them to be fearful. Whenever they carry that fear into their adulthood, it causes a crack, like a crack in the plate, like a split in their personality, okay? It's my ultimate goal that I don't do that for my child, that I let them live, that I live with them respectfully, that I love them wholly and deeply, 
and fully as a human being and with a deep respect for their journey and who they are as an individual and not who I have decided or who I want them to be. And when you build the foundations correctly with a child, everything else falls into place. The adults who are grounded and less fearful are the ones who are the most successful and lead the happiest lives. And just as a final note, I want to say that it's okay not to know all the answers. It's okay to just relax and let it all happen. I remember the Dalai Lama once, you know, in a forum I was watching, somebody asked him this really profound question and and he leaned forward into the microphone and the whole audience leaned forward with him because they were waiting on what he was going to say. And he leaned forward into the microphone and he said, I don't know. And then he sat back and everyone was like, what do you mean you don't know? the Dalai Lama. Of course you know. But that really changed my life because I was like, oh my God, the Dalai Lama has just admitted that he doesn't know. How much strength does it take to be okay with not knowing? People ask me all the time, but what's going to happen whenever your your child reaches 18? And I go, I don't know. And they go, but what, what's going to happen whenever they're this? I don't know. Well, what's going to happen when, I don't know. I'm just, and people go, Oh, and they're really confused because they're not used to someone saying that they don't know. They're used to someone saying, oh, well, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And I just go, I don't know. This is all a great big experiment, but I'm okay with it being an experiment because like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Really? What's the worst thing that can happen? If you are close to your children, you're their best friend, you know exactly where they are at all times. They're happy. They're joyful. They are respectful to other people and to the environment and to their own bodies and themselves. Really, what's the worst thing that could happen? Right? So, you know, I don't, so that's what I always say to people. It's okay not to know the answers. In fact, it's so much more enjoyable whenever you just relax and enjoy the ride. And just remember this, guys, okay, before we finish. He who has the most joy wins. You only get one shot at this life, right? How do you want to spend it? Do you want to spend it fearful or do you want to spend it joyful? Do you want to set, set, you know, do you want to spend it being stressed and worried all the time, which is what a, a lot of control and anger does to a child. It makes them a fearful, stressed and worried adult, by the way. Or do you want to just be happy and live your life freely and with joy? That is my ultimate goal. And if my children are living their life freely with purpose and with joy, and they are problem solvers and they are, you know, they have friends and they, they, you know, they, they see their effect in the world and they want to make the world a better place. Well, damn, I know I've done a good job. And you can choose differently. You can choose differently for yourself and you can choose differently for your children. The choice is entirely yours. You're not forced into a corner. You're not being, you're not in slavery. You're not controlled by somebody. You are completely your own person. Okay. So the choice is entirely yours how you live. Choose wisely. Choose wisely, guys. That's what I ask you to do. Just choose wisely for your own sake and for that of your children. And be strong enough to live up to your convictions. Aim for your behavior to match your belief. And look for places in your life where it does not. And work hard to integrate those so you too can become whole. Because when you become whole, that is how you can teach your children how to be whole. Well, you won't even have to teach them because your children are whole. They are whole when they are born. They are whole. They are integrated. And, and if you model all of the things, all of the qualities that you want them to have as adults, if you model those for your children in their young lives, you will completely transform their whole existence. And that is what I want for you. And that is what I want for your children. And that is ultimately what I want for the whole world. And I know that's very deep, but it is actually very, very true.
Okay, guys, I'm so sorry that's got long, but hopefully you're with me the whole way. This is, as I say, uh, something that you guys have been asking for for a long, 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 long time. I hope that you will remember to leave a review on the podcast. You could be given the chance of winning one of our incredible programs. Uh, leave a review wherever you're listening. Send me a screenshot as a direct message on Instagram, and you will be entered into the draw to win one of our amazing programs. Guys, hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I loved recording it. I hope you have a wonderful week wherever you are and whatever you are doing. And I will speak to you next week on another episode of the Strong and Sculpted podcast. Sending a big kiss to you and lots of love from my heart to yours. Talk to you next week.